anytime you act needy, people become afraid of you. And they, they box you out and they want to get away from you, right? And that's a function. So the question is, how do we manage needing something like an investment, right, in which we might only have six or seven or three meetings to get that investment and go to that meeting, you know, carefree, not needing anything at all, just talking. About, and that is the skill set of raising money, mm-hmm. okay? You want to draw the thin line between who's successful and who's not. It's who goes to meetings needy and who goes to meetings professional, finance insider, ready to pitch, unattached from the outcome. Hey guys, what's up? I'm Kirsten, and today we're having a conversation with Oren Claff. He is one of the world's leading experts when it comes to sales, raising capital, and negotiation. Um, I originally came across his work in 2014 when I was looking over um, Brian Rose on London Real, and he did a a really in-depth interview on Oren's original book at that point, Pitch Anything, which is a mandatory read for many VC companies and sales in the like sales careers in the tech sector in Silicon Valley. So I have been following Oren's work for quite a few years now and so when his team approached me to do a segment on Flip the Script, which is Oren's new book, um, I couldn't say no. So um, if you guys are watching this, you're obviously interested in what we're going to be covering on how to raise capital and also how to, what are some hidden killers that you may not even realize you are doing that's killing your deal before you even have a chance to pitch uh, your strategy, your investment. Um, and this this uh, conversation doesn't just apply to raising capital. If you are in um, the business of of pitching wholesalers or you're you're doing sales or you're doing marketing for your e-commerce brand this is very very relevant to you um, flip the script you can now find it on Amazon all over the world um, just amazing read and I'm, I'm so stoked for the opportunity to have like had this one-on-one conversation with Oren um, this is good stuff I'm gonna stop rambling let's get on to the interview um, your team approached me and I came across Pitch Anything over London Real years ago and I've been yeah. following your work ever since. So Great. I was like, is this a joke when his team's pitching me? But no, in the flesh. Yeah, yeah, no, we're doing, uh, we're, we're talking to big and small. Uh, you know, I, I learned this from Summit Series. You know, they, they invite 30% of their conference attendees for, ju- for you know, just vibe. Yeah. And so you can't just do the big shows. And here we are. I think of a pitch to an investor at different levels. You have the angels, you have the VCs, you have Series A, Series B, different levels of finance that you deal with. Um, can you tell me why the plain method of selling isn't enough anymore when it comes to raising capital in the space? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, you guys are so young, you probably haven't seen it, but you've heard of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes, I've heard of it. But kind of remember it. Let no, me... I think I have. I'm 32, so... 32, okay. Not as young uh, as I look. So check this out. Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's this high adventure, running around, lots of escapades. But at the end, they find the 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 golden chalice, the Lost Ark, the power that can save humanity and change the world for the better, right? It's, it's the Lost Ark, the covenant of the Lost Ark. 
right? With the with the one thing, at least in the movie, with the magical powers to to benefit humanity. At the end of the movie, the U.S. government puts it in a crate. They seal up the crate. It goes to a warehouse on a forklift, and there's like 10,000 other crates exactly like it. It's incredibly sad, right, mm-hmm. that, that the, the thing that can make the world a better place, the government puts in a crate, in a box, on a shelf, in a warehouse. But that is what every venture capitalist, private equity group, angel investor, Tech Coast Angel style group is doing to you. When you use the old method, they go, interesting, send us the document, send us the deck, send us the business plan, we'll take a look at it, bring it to committee, bring it to our partner, bring it to our you know Monday meeting, show it to an investment analyst. If we have any further questions, we'll give you a call. In other words, they're putting you in that same crate. You're going on a forklift and you're going in the warehouse, maybe to be seen again, maybe never to be seen again. And the deal is dead before you the, even start. That deal is dead before you've started. Now, uh, so the problem is you, uh, uh, in all forms of selling, the buyers are putting you in a box and they're, they're controlling the whole process. And maybe they'll take you off and you know go to another meeting or be interested in you. But they are – so the problem is the old way of doing it, they are totally in control and you have no control. So what does that matter, Right. If you're mm-hmm. not in control, uh, it matters in this way. The sales cycle or the investment cycle is very long. You don't know where you are in it. You are burning cash, you know, in an early stage company. You don't have certainty of when you're going to replace that cash. You don't know how to operate your company. And by the way, you should be operating the company, not chasing money. Okay. And so there's many problems with going to pitch somebody and they're going, eh, looks interesting. Send me the deck. We'll think about it. If we have any other questions, uh, we'll call you. Check in with us in a month. The problem is you've spent your time, you're running an early stage company, which has a paucity or a limitation or a, a extreme uh, scarcity on time. You should be dealing with product and customers, not chasing potential investors around. The second thing is, once you've done three, four, five, 10, eight, 15 meetings, you've got this whole roster of people that you're chasing around. What most early stage guys don't know is that most investors you meet don't even have money. Now look, it's not that True Ventures or Kleiner Perkins or those guys don't have money, but they may not have money allocated for your kind of deal, but they still have to meet companies, talk to companies, see what's in the market, uh, feel out what's out there, And so they have no problem, even with a very limited ability to invest, meeting with you, checking out your deck, asking your questions. Because they're trying to build investment theses and relationships and pipeline. And and so there's so many problems with the old way that it it causes deals literally to die. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that's a big problem because I know firsthand startups, you work in 80 hours a week, you're limited on capital, you're running out of it, your brain is starting to freak out because your dream, you see it, you have one month before you're out. And so you're desperately chasing investors, spending all your time doing that, your company is probably falling apart and you're meeting even with the wrong people and not even getting attention. So there is this, you open the book with this idea called Inception, which is making them think that it's their idea. Why is Inception kind of the gateway to a, a healthier way to actually get an investor's attention and make sure that you're spending 
uh, your time on something that will produce really great results. Yeah. The, so, so the great thing is once you put the idea of your deal, your company, your idea, your big idea, your product, your space, your market, this new thing into the mind of an investor and let it, let it circulate in there. And when they come up with the idea to take the next step, another meeting, it's incredibly resilient. It's incredibly stable and there's not going to be the sense of discounting, right? The, that the, that the, uh, valuation and the amount of money is constantly going to be going down you know as so when the investor wants to do it internally and they're motivated to move forward that's when you see your valuation hold stable that's when you get the amount of money you need that's when closings happen on time like i close a deal this was this was funny uh so they were so concerned that we were going to find another investor that they put they're like we have to get six million dollars out to you, mm-hmm. right, before we close. We need to get the money out, right, because they were concerned. So many people were vying for the deal. We, and, and so they – I said, all I have is my Bank of America account. They transferred $6.1 million to my personal Bank of America account. The ATM slip was made. I lost it. Uh, uh, and, and you know, then obviously we got lawyers and it had to go to our corporate account. But when somebody comes up with the idea – that they want to move forward with you, that is the position you want to be in. And we're doing that all the time. In fact, people say, Oren, what's your best clothes? You're a sales guy. You wrote pitch anything, right? And I go, oh, my best clothes is, oh, what? no, it's, what? Oh, I don't, I don't have a clothes. Because yeah. the way I pitch today takes the buyers through a process that I laid out in Flip the Script in mm-hmm. which they go, uh, so well, what's the next step? How do we how do we work together? That's my close is letting the investor say, you know, what's the next step for you? How do we really make this happen? And then it really will happen. So so that's what I wrote the book is how how to take people through that process so they the investor gets there without you ever going. So that's our presentation. What do you think? Is it something you'd be interested in? Uh, do you have any questions? That is not where you want to end up, that's where deals go to die. I've noticed two points of contact with my sales. People follow me on YouTube or podcast for two years, come to me and they're like, what do I have to pay you? I want to work with you. Like no selling on my part. But then there's the direct outreach where people don't know anything about me. And I'm in a high versus low status. And that's very similar to when you go into a room and pitch a deal to 20 investors. Can you tell me about the dominance hierarchy? Because I want to lead into the number one mistake I see our clients making is the whole neediness factor. So I want to go into like the dominance hierarchy and how that plays a factor in like how to literally flip the script when it matters the most. Yeah, I think what most founders do or or executives they go into that room and they look for rapport right oh nice conference room all you guys worked with such and such company uh or they like to do individual rapport with the people in the room right oh you play racquetball or you like you know sailing or you know whatever it is and oh my uncle sales right it's funny i use this example uh all the time uh the i have uh uh, I've quite a few motorcycles, right? I've owned a thousand motorcycles, and and they're down to like a collection. Uh, and and the motorcycles I have, you know, I'm just fortunate to be in this place of life. I mean, they're like magazine cover, won at races, 
known bikes of which there's one. And so somebody will come in, they're looking for rapport, and they'll be like, oh, I love motorcycles, right? When I was in college, I used to deliver pizza, and I had a Honda CB360T. I'm like, yeah, that's great. You had the biggest fucking piece of shit motorcycle ever made, right? What does that have to do with me, right? I have some of the iconic motorcycles of all time, <laughs> you know, that are worth a million dollars. And so even though it is a motorcycle, and this is where I'm going with the dominance hierarchy, if you are signaling that you're an outsider to finance, right? Oh, um, and, and to venture capital or to investing or to angel investing. This is probably the, the first, this is the first problem that people, that, that founders create for themselves. They don't signal that they're an insider, right? And so what do insiders do? What do guys who've been in five deals, right? have raised a couple million dollars, have had exits, know what they're doing. They don't walk in that room and go, hey, did you see the game this weekend? Right? They walk in that room and go, hey, guys, it's 10 o'clock. I got to kick this off. Right? We have a customer meeting you know, 1130. I got to get back for that. Can you just pull all your people in? Right? So listen, you know, where we are is we've raised you know, $250,000 a day. We've got a pipeline of um, uh, you know, 150 customers lined up in our trial. We're trying to move into beta pretty quickly. We've got about a million dollars circled. We wanted to meet you guys before we take the money down. Uh, and so it's good to be here. Yeah, it's not a lot of words, 80, 90 words. It signals a lot of things, professionalism, and you're an insider to finance. Most founders, and if you could just clip this and repeat it over and over in a gift, most founders walk into finance meetings and immediately signal they're outsiders to finance. And I got to think to myself as an investor, okay, I put in $350,000, $500,000, a million dollars, right? Once we use that, who's going to raise more money? Not this idiot in front of me who knows nothing about finance. And so that's where valuations, not to get mad at everybody, but uh, – so, so step one in the dominance hierarchy is signaling that you're a peer to the investors in finance, that you understand finance. I would say nine out of ten uh, founders that I talk to, I say, send me your model. And they send me you know, this thing with like um, month one, month two, month three, you know, month four on the Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. You know, the numbers are baked. Uh, you could see – They've, it's, there's 3% revenue per growth. They've just dragged the line across, right? G&A is just, or, or uh, sales expense is just a bulk number. There's no headcount. There's no, you know, engineering by engineer. Uh, it's not a model, right? If you really had on your side the best venture capitalists in the best firms, Crosslink, Kleiner Perkins, True Ventures, whatever, right? The first thing they'll say to you as your partner Where's the model? Model, model, model. What are the assumptions? Okay. And so the model is the first step to speaking the language of finance. Not finance that you learn at you know, Stanford or MIT or Yale or Harvard or University of Delaware or wherever the hell you went to. The finance, the, the, the investor doesn't know what it means. You know what your projections mean, either in user growth or revenue, unless there's a model to look at. And so when um, 
I know we wanted to talk about the book a little bit, but I got off on this rant. You know, so if they say, so, um, you know, what happens if uh, sales convert 15% slower than expected engineers, you know, or more big data engineers are getting pretty scarce. You know, what if uh, hiring happens a little bit slower and we have more of a headcount expense? Well, um, you don't have to take a look at that. Or you know your model so well, you go, oh, hold on a second. Oh, that means we'd need probably another six months of runway, and we'd have to, you know, reduce some of our uh, uh, secondary features to the product another year and a half while we were taking, you know, adjust additional uh, reduction in cash flow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know it's like fewer, but but signaling. Not that you know the product, not that you know the space, not that um, um, you know you know how to run technology because everybody knows how to do that. What what investors want to know is that you're a finance insider. Where you are on the dominance hierarchy of of um, being a peer to somebody in finance. Not only that, but when you come in with all, uh, say, the ShamWow guy, all it shows that all investors want to do is pick apart your deal. So if you go yeah. in with this crazy awesome model, like model as you call it, um, without having factored in the worst case scenario, they're not going to take you seriously. As you say, I, I think, I think that's right. Uh, so I mean, I think you're hitting on two things. One is founders are exceedingly or excessively optimistic and they need to be, you know, this is something that happened in, uh, our evolution. So if you go back 70,000 years, right, mm-hmm. you and I are cave roommates, right? And, and life is miserable, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, we're not getting lattes. We're not talking about where we're going to get a Tesla or if we're going to get a new view in our condo or, you know, specialized is coming out with a new mountain bike, uh, you know, with the uh, electronic shifting. We're going, what are we going to eat this week, right? Winter is coming. We're going to freeze to death unless we kill a moose, right? But we're mm-hmm. afraid to go kill a moose because there's another tribe. That's much bigger than us. And if they see us, they're going to throw spears at us. So nothing good happened in life at all. Every day was miserable except for the next day, which was more miserable. Mm-hmm. All right. And, and so we had to develop into our psychology an optimism to overcome the idea that nothing good ever happened in life. Like, you know, that things could Good happen, and so we have we have this today. We have an excessive amount of optimism, uh, and so the reality is, unless an investor sees you admit the possibility of fail- failure and allows them to consider the notion that they could lose their money, they know they can lose their money. But if you don't allow them to consider that, they don't view you, they view you as a salesman as a capital-raising CEO, not as an operational CEO. So you have to, uh, uh, you, you know, it's a book and, it's, it, and it spells out how to do this. It's a very specific way. But you have to allow people to have pessimism. How do you do that? When they have questions and objections, you don't attack them with a wiffle bat, right? This is what I see. <laughs> Every objection that comes out to a founder gets attacked with this very convenient wiffle bat. And sometimes there's nails in it and they just swing at it wildly into the objection you know, goes away. You never get an objection to go away. You got to say, hey, look, that's valid. We don't have a full-time CFO, right? And this is a very complex um, algorithms here that need, uh, you know, the way we move money is complicated. And that is a hole in the team. 
Mm-hmm. And we would understand, by the way, if you said, look, you don't have a CFO, you haven't got a hiring process in place, and you don't have budget for a CFO, and we would understand if that was a kill point for you. In fact, if it is, tell us so we can get the hell out of here and go back to running our company. Um, <laughs> so so uh, there, especially an early stage deal, there are holes in the deal. You have to admit it. You have to um, allow objections to come out and for pessimism to exist. So that's that's for sure. And there's specific ways to do it. And then flip the script. You know, I think you saw I laid those out very mm-hmm. uh, clearly. Wow. Great. That, oh, thank you. Yeah, well, uh, we're here we are with Kirsten, who's now going to do a quick commercial for Flip the Script because we forgot to do it earlier. Go ahead, Kirsten. Well, I'm pretty sure I was just going to uh, – well, here's where it gets awkward. Come on. Uh, no, I <laughs> – Welcome to the Orange Clap Podcast. Hi guys. (laughs) Well, let me tell you, I was watching London Real back in 2013 or 2014. I came across this guy named Orange Clap of Pitch Anything, and it blew my mind. And so, when I got the opportunity to talk to him about Flip the Script, it blew my mind. No, seriously, guys, awesome book. (laughs) Well, I think I think the next thing, uh, as well, you know, as you mentioned, is the ShamWow guy, right? Yeah. So, so maybe a lot of people listening don't know who that is, but it's basically a guy was on TV on infomercials selling, uh, in essence, these these ShamWow what are the cloths, mops, mm. right? They're like mop up spills, and uh, you know they cost about two cents to manufacture, and he was selling them, you know, for five dollars each. But he but he was a master uh, at showing the features, the features and benefits, right? Oh, it's uh, made of microfiber, and when coffee spills, it can mop it up by itself, and it can hold so much water by its weight, and it's you can clean it, and it's easy to clean, and your life will be better. You'll be better looking. You'll meet better looking people. You'll have amazing kids. Your kids will start, you know, the successor company in Facebook, and you'll retire in Malibu, and uh, you know, and and you'll have a wonderful life, and people will look up to you all because of this mop, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so. What happens is when a presentation starts, most founders are this ShamWow guy. They're they're selling really hard the features and the benefits, which is fine if that's who you are. Okay, if you've always been a sales guy, you are a sales guy. That's part of your personality. Uh, cheesiness, or uh, it doesn't have to be called cheesiness, but being effusive and optimistic mm-hmm. and enthusiastic is who you are, and you're sort of known as that guy. Then, then that's okay. The problem is if you're doing that to attract the investors, and once they're attracted, now you start to shift to a different kind of personality, right? Which is the the benefits personality, and then the trial close guy. You know, what I call the angel. So yes. as you're shifting through these multiple hats or roles or archetypes or personalities, it is very unsettling for the investor. Because remember, they invest first in people, second in track record, third in idea, especially Mm -hmm. in early stage companies. So if I don't know who you are because I'm meeting with you and you've gone through four, five, seven different personalities in 30 minutes and there's more personalities to come, right? Uh, then I don't know who you are and it's not compelling. There's no consistency. Consistency, yeah, for yeah. for sure. And 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 so what what founders feel they need to do is whatever mood that I the investor am in, right? You're in the placating mood to that, mm-hmm. right? Um, if I'm 
you know, as I am now, animated and excited and asking tough questions, you know, you have easy answers. If I'm just sitting there, you know, rubbing my chin, well, then you are information out of you. Yeah, then you're conveying information, right? Yeah. Uh, if I'm throwing out objections and you're, you know, the then you're combative, kung fu, tai chi, you know, MMA, you know, combating the and and so you're going through all these different personas, right? That I don't know who you are. And so that's one thing we try and teach our founders and our CEOs and our executives is let's figure out what you're really made of and do only that because investors first buy off on you, then they buy off on your track record, and then they buy off on the idea company. I like it. Uh, we only have a couple minutes left. so the la Oh, yeah. Sorry. I'm, 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 I'm uh, answering more in the question than the question actually had in it. No, that's what I want. Yes or no from now that's what on. I want. Um, I'm going to let you pick where we go with this. I either want to talk about how you make yourself the prize as opposed to chasing yeah. Yeah. versus, uh, an open ended question of something I should have asked you, but I didn't. So I'll let you pick one of those. Yeah. Let, let's talk about prizing. What, well, yeah. Okay. How to be the prize. So I think what we see is founders are very grateful to come in and meet with a capital source for no good reason, okay? Capital is a commodity. It's available everywhere. You can get a bank loan. You can ask your uncle for it. You could just sell more. You can reduce expenses. You can, there's there's thousands of investors. There's hundred. there's 11 million millionaires in the United States. You cannot tell me that there's not two or 3,000 millionaires who have an interest in the area you're in, birthday cakes, jet fighters, toilet paper, SaaS software, consulting, poker for grandmas, I don't care, right? So money is a commodity. The special thing in that meeting is you. Your experience in the space, your knowledge of what's changing, your understanding of SaaS software and how to deploy into your market and your technical knowledge and your ability to recruit and the brand that you've built and your track record. That's what investors need is companies to invest in. The money is an absolute commodity. It's more of a commodity than rice and oil. You should not supplicate or demean or lower yourself for a commodity that may or may not even exist you know, in the accounts of the person you're talking to. Mm -hmm. Cannot emphasize enough how many people will take meetings on the basis of being an investor that don't have capital. So, by the way, if you're within the sound of our voice, look up this notion of a call fund and get on, you know, and this is the, before you even take a meeting, you know, ask investors, are you a call fund or do you have captive capital? A call fund is when uh, the investor has a bunch of buddies that said, if you find a good deal, I'll take a look at it. And then he goes, oh, I have $50 million fund. No, right? You have mm -hmm. some buddies who said you look at deals, right? Um, and if they like it, they may or may not invest. You cannot write a check. So in, in all likelihood, you know, half the folks you're meeting with, especially the smaller the deal is, are call funds. They don't actually have capital, right? Um, and it seems like today everybody just adds capital after the name. What do you do? I sell shoes. Oh, why does it say Bob's Capital? Oh, well, you know, it's trendy. <laughs> That's funny. Jeez. Uh, so, so pricing, you know, um, pricing, yeah. so come to, I, and I think the script for pricing is pretty basic. Hey, we're super busy. 
right? We're recruiting big data engineer. We're deploying our beta. Uh, we're doing, you know, we're uh, writing whatever Java Joomla scripts, uh, and we're, you know, we're launching, um, uh, you know, our social media strategy. So I'm glad I was able to find the time on the calendar to meet with you guys. I know you guys are super busy as well, so it's good we could finally find the time to get together, right? We're busy, you're busy, put a lot of work. Um, we prepared a presentation for you. I think you're going to like it, uh, and I'm excited, uh, you know, based on your experience, some things we saw about you, we're excited to be here, and certainly as much as you're evaluating us, we want to leave some time where we can evaluate you. Taking an investor is one of the most important critical things that a company can do. And we'd rather just continue using our own money than take mm -hmm. the wrong person. To show that in a different light, can you flip that into what someone low status and needy would say to investors? Sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we see it all the time. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. You know, we're really excited to meet with you guys. We're going to show you, you know, I think you're going to love our company. Uh, if you invest in us, we're, you know, you're going to find we're the hardest working, you know, company you'll ever see. We can be a $5 billion company. We're the only ones who can, you know, SaaS software, API, uh, you know, double plug in, download data and, you know, convert it to cloud, for, you know, um, without going on prem using, uh, a, a big data AI interface. No one else can do that. And so um, we're, you know, we're really excited to take you through the demo and the deck and uh, hope that we find a fit with you guys. And, uh, you know, again, super, super motivated to be here today. Thank you for taking the meeting. Again, the difference is that you walked into the meeting like a Mark Zuckerberg. You don't need the money. You're the prize. Yeah. Whereas flipping that, is a needy position and why is neediness dangerous in terms of neuropsychology or yeah and i don't know if you've heard me say this before um but i think it's important to say if you again if you go back seventy thousand, the reason i use seventy thousand words by the way have you read sapiens no i haven't yeah really good sapiens okay. you know makes the case that there was this sort of cognitive evolution around seventy thousand years ago and that we really the the brain um took a big leap forward mm -hmm. at that point in terms of mental processing power. So that's why I sort of used 50, 70,000 years ago gotcha. in civilization. You know, people really started thinking well, math and language started coming. So a couple things to remember. Language was developed to impart information about danger, not to describe SAS, API, AI, machine learning plugins. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's just developed to say, watch out, don't eat those berries, you're going to die. There's a bear over there, run over here, go up there, right? No, not that way, the rock's going to fall on you. We're really good at that, need no training. Uh, language becomes very difficult when we start using it for these more abstract topics. So if you think back to that time, when somebody came up and needed something from you, there was no surplus in those days. So, so what they needed was food, women, uh, cave, fire, uh, territory, right? And so you hardly, you didn't have any surplus. So anytime somebody came and they needed something, they were dangerous because they were at the edge of existence and their need meant that they would attack it and take it from you. Mm -hmm. You know, everything was 
you know, every day, every hour was life and death. And so when somebody needed something, it meant they were at the edge of uh, existence and they would take it from you by force. So neediness triggers a primal fear in our brain. And so that's why I wrote and pitch anything. You know, people want what they can't have. People chase that which moves away from them. And people only value that which they pay for. Mm-hmm. Okay. When – if you know, uh, uh, anytime you act needy, people become afraid of you. And they, they box you out and they want to get away from you. Right? And that's the function. So the question is how do we manage needing something like an investment – Right, in which we might only have six or seven or three meetings to get that investment and go to that meeting, you know, carefree, not needing anything at all, just talking. About, and that is the skill set of raising money. Mm-hmm. Okay, you want to draw the thin line between who's successful and who's not. It's who goes to meetings needy, and who goes to meetings professional, finance insider, ready to pitch, unattached. From the outcome. And that's hire, the key. Unattached. The, yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, higher the stakes, the higher you need to be able to walk away. Or the more you need to be able to walk away. Ab- absolutely. Could, couldn't, be, couldn't be better said. So that's awesome. the answer. I'm glad we got to that because that was literally, if I had to summarize the book and why people have to read it, it's to flip the switch in your brain as to how psychologically you have to go into these meetings because you as a entrepreneur you will never understand how an investor thinks until you read the book and realize that it's a high low status play and how you can just really get on their level and go that that's why i made this book an easy reader you know you just sit down and just sucks you in you keep moving and then you just understand from the stories and the lessons of real situations how this stuff works so all right i'm getting the hook on time any last thing I can do to I want to know how people can find the book. This is being released on the 13th. So where can yes. people get the book, leave reviews, that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. So the best, easier thing to do is uh, jump over to, let's see, just, you know, on Amazon, just type in flip the script and Oren Claff and it will pop up. Uh, but if you go to orenclaff.com, mm-hmm. right? And half, you know, as you know, half the internet is about me, of course. So but if you just type in O in your browser, you know, just fill in. It's just there. Maybe mine, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, if you type in Orenclaff uh, and you go to orenclaff.com, then you can get the chapter one download. There's special editions, you know, like any other um, book author. You can get supplements and additional emails that support the book. But that, but but I think the first thing to do is get the book in your hand, go through chapter one, chapter two, get yourself hooked on needing to do this stuff, and then um, uh, we'll, you know, as we get to know each other more, you know, we'll we'll help you on your journey to raise capital. That's the mission in my life is to help these guys uh, go into meetings, own the meeting, and and pitch as well as possible, and and really at that meeting understand is this an investor. How, what's their level of interest? What's the next step? Or should we put them on the shelf before they put us on the shelf? 
Well, that wraps up episode 15. Um, the links to the show notes can be found on our website at kirsten.com slash ls15. And grab your copy of Flip the Script if you haven't. I It's a very easy, quick read. Um, super, super valuable information, as you can imagine from this interview with Oren. And I mean, um, guys, if you are wondering how to work with us to launch your product or scale it, see what I did there, scale either an existing e-commerce brand or really scale your product off of a successful Kickstarter, get in touch. You can find all details at kirsten.com. It's K-H-I-E-R-S-T-Y-N.com. And of course, we have a ton of other free resources and stuff like that. So anyway, uh, love you guys, and I will talk to you soon. Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launchpad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step through the process of launching and scaling your product brand. Brands like The Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launchpad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launchpad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.